Welcome to the Word Ministry of Resurrection Church, where Dr. Joseph G. Matera is the senior pastor and presiding bishop. We trust that the following message will be a blessing. Open up your hearts and allow the Holy Spirit to minister to you through the preaching and teaching of one of God's choice servants. So let's just pray a minute. Father, we thank you for this day, the Lord's Day, the day we gather in celebration of when you rose from the dead and started the church. We thank you, even as your word says, to not forsake the assembling, but gather all the more as the days draw close and as we're pressed in with darkness, God. And we thank you. We pray that you would strengthen this church and every church in our city and our nation to continue to gather, uh, to not lose heart, but to be encouraged, Father. And we pray for this word today. It would build encouragement, strength, motivation, direction, God, that you will uh, dig roots deep into us, that fruit would be born from your word, that you would bring to every light into every heart what is needed and what you want to speak. Father, we thank you for it. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so I know this month we've been talking about a lot of things, um, stewardship, and we've been covering discipleship and my husband's been preaching um, out of his book, The Jesus Principles, which we encourage you all to get. Um, so usually our messages are very much in line, but today our messages will probably be very different. So um, if you were in the first service, you could hear this, the second. If you're in the second service, I encourage you also to listen to Bishop's message online um, from the first service. So... Um, you know, and as I was praying for the word in, in lines of stewardship and as we're entering into this new year and um, looking to just do what God has called us to do, uh, the, the title of my message is Self-Care for the Sake of Others. And so, see, I have a message. I have a, a title, Adrian. Aren't you happy? He's usually like, what's the title? I don't know. Let me think. <laughs> so... Um, I, I encourage you to read Bishop's book, uh, The Jesus Principle, if you haven't. But I also want to recommend another book, because I always like to recommend books as we're preaching. We've been going through a series, and I've shared with you the books from the series on the heroes of the Bible, which we will be continuing. But a book that I want to encourage you as we start this new year is called Invitation to a Journey. And it's an amazing book. And, and the tagline on the book is being conformed to the image of Christ for the sake of others. I read that book. It really impacted me. I uh, read it years ago, but I, I want, it's by Robert Mullahan, in case you want to look it up online. So, um, so my message has to do with self-care, which is a, 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 like a, a trend nowadays. Um, and so, but it's self-care for the sake of others, and you'll understand why. Our lives take meaning when they're lived for the sake of others. Our purpose in God and mission and assignment on earth is to bring attention and awareness of others to God for their sake. So we cannot fully help them outside of the gospel, so that's part of it. But we're living, and, and, and our mission is for the sake of others, and it's tied to the gospel because we could really ultimately do nothing for others without the gospel. So a, a lot is said about self-care these days, from eating right, to taking personal time, to choosing where we live, where we go to church, our friends, our careers, our jobs, to getting out of relationships, cutting people out of our lives, setting boundaries, and so on. And I see it um, 
lots on social media as you know people make statements and you see it a lot um, not just amongst Christians but in the world sometimes Christians just start to tag on to whatever the world is doing and it's okay if it's a good thing but it always has to come in alignment and under the balance of of the Word of God uh, which the world doesn't have so we should be leading the way not following and uh, we should be taking whatever's out there and adjusting it um, according to God's word so um, the reasons for uh, a lot of these self-care things are for personal well-being and for the most part very legitimate which we, we will understand some things we have more control over than others so in, in now nowadays we have more control over things there's been times in history where people had no control and so it's not like they had the ability to make the choices we have. There were people living in slavery that did not have the choice as to how long they could sleep or, or, or what they could eat or what job they could pursue. So there were many times and places in history, even in the, in the birthing of this country where there was a lot of hardships. So it wasn't, uh, it wasn't like they could have these, all these self-care helps, they had no choices like we have today. So what we want to do is use our choices for the good of others. Use our choices in the right way. Use our choices in context with the word of God because we have a whole lot more choices. And be thankful for the choices that we do have because people have sacrificed for our choices. People are still sacrificing today as they're sent overseas for our choices. So let's always remember that and keep them in our prayers. So there's some things we have more control over than others, as life doesn't always afford us the things we would prefer or we think make us happy. To add to that, happiness is not just about preferences, comfort, and convenience, but about purpose, meaning, and impact. Purpose and meaning come from God, and impact comes from our responses to the purposes that come from God. So self-care is necessary in order to be about our purpose well. We need self-care, but self-care, like anything else, can become our God. So self-care is not self-serving. It's not a means to self-satisfaction, whether that takes the form of power, popularity, career, happiness, or ease. So, so many I know um, and, and have experienced and witnessed move, go places, make decisions, whether for the sake of money or other reasons, and, and their assignments and the call of God on their life actually went down the tubes, and I've witnessed that so many times. Marriages have been abandoned, kids' lives hurt in the process. So there's many decisions that are made in the form of, um, of self-serving, self-satisfaction, um, for whatever reason. So these all need to always come under the, the banner of the Lord Jesus Christ and his will, his purpose, his call in our lives. So self-care is not necessarily a process to eliminate physical or emotional pain, but to, in fact, sometimes, at times, a mis physical and emotional pain is increased, but it's to accomplish a goal, which at times may include um, different areas of pain. If the purpose is not in, in alignment with the will and call of God and his word, then decisions will be off. Why? Because the root of our sinfulness is the desire for our own happiness. Hold on. It's the root of our sinfulness is the desire of our own happiness apart from God 
and apart from the happiness of others. So sometimes we, we compartmentalize even apart from God, but we, don't, we have to realize that with God means with others. Loving God means loving others. Um, so serving God means serving others. So they're not separated, and we're going to unpack that a little more. So self-care to fulfill the purpose of God takes a different image than one that is solely self-fulfilling. Um, so we can't trust a life of, uh, of just seeking self-fulfillment because we'll do ourselves a great injustice. We don't know better. We don't even know what's good for ourselves. Um, and because of sinfulness in our lives and the sinful nature, we will often make mistakes and even hurt ourselves more, which will take a, a little more depth as we go on. So we need self-care for this reason alone, to fulfill the purpose of God on the earth. I need to take care of myself so I can adequately do what God has called me to do. So I want to take care of myself for that reason. Self-care, therefore, is, not a means, is, is a means to an end, but not the end. So lack of self-care is often intricately connected to depression, discouragement, lack of purpose, lack of hope, sense of failure. Um, so you see, when people are depressed, they don't take care of themselves. When people are discouraged or feel like there's no hope, they don't take care of themselves. And this just reinforces the reality that self-care is fueled on by purpose and by God-given goals, which we need to lay hold of, which we need to have hope in, which we need to believe in. So when you're connected to fulfilling your purpose in God, you have a motivation for self-care. And I've been in both places. I've been in the place where I'm motivated because I, you know, I'm, 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 I'm excited and I'm driven by the things that I know God has called me to do, but I've been in the place where I've been discouraged, where I've been depressed, where I've been disillusioned, where I've felt no hope, and has seen that in those dark places, it was very hard to care about anything, to care about doing any of the things I would normally do to take care of myself. Um, so since we need self-care for the purpose of fulfilling the will of God on earth and completing our God-given destiny and assignment, let's take a closer look at that in order to help put things in perspective. So we take care of ourselves in order to fulfill our assignment, or as Philippians says, to run the race set before us by God and to reach the finish line. So um, it, our, our walking in our purpose and goal and assignments is compared um, several times in the Bible to running a race. And so when someone's running a race, they're in training. So um, we need to be in spiritual and physical training, which are disciplines. So we have spiritual disciplines. We, we teach on prayer, reading the word, um, you know, uh, being in church, uh, worshiping, and, you know, all, a whole gamut of things. And, you know, we encourage people to read the book on spiritual disciplines. Um, what's the name of that book? I always recommend it. Um, it's, it's the one I recommend every year. Um, Millie will find it and give it to you. But we also need physical disciplines in our lives. So we need to take care of ourselves. We need to eat right. We need to take rest. We need to 
do the proper thing. Sometimes we get so busy, you know, we're, we're eating in fast food restaurants every day of our lives. So um, we need both physical and spiritual disciplines and, and emotional disciplines. So in terms of, you know, relationship building, you know, taking care of our marriages, um, taking care of our children, we need to be able to focus on these things. But again, all of it um, surrounds, all of it is, it's all encompassing. You don't compartmentalize spiritual life from the other aspects of our life. They all should be evolving or, and, and centered around the, the purpose of God and around his kingdom and what he's called us to do the same way the planets evolve around the sun. And he wants to be involved in all of it and all of it should intertwine together. So uh, we see when people begin to separate it, it's a problem. I was, I was reading um, something that was really funny. Somebody got in a, a taxi cab and um, the, the taxi driver was listening to their conversation um, to somebody that was, you know, uh, that, that they got a call from and they were just, you know, giving God all this praise. She said they were speaking in tongues. They were saying all these great things. So the person was ready, the taxi driver was ready to respond and say, oh, wow. Uh, and then the next thing before he got a chance to do that, the person had a call from their job and then every other word was, you know, throwing out the F-bomb and, 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 and every, everything else. So it's so funny, you know, how sometimes our lives can be just so unaligned, but our lives need to be completely centered around God. That's when we do best. So uh, it's important we understand those things. So we take care of ourselves to finish that, uh, to get to that finish line to get to finish our assignment before we head on to be with Jesus. So we need spiritual and physical disciplines. We need times of rest and Sabbath to regroup and recharge. And we're also trained through suffering. Hebrews 5.8 says Jesus learned obedience through what he suffered. Some people, in the guise of self-care, run away from hardship or run away from pain. Um, but the Bible teaches us to take it with joy and to work through it knowing that it builds character, that it builds endurance, and that it builds hope. So there's a lot of false premises to what self-care is, and we're going to go through some pointers. Um, for point one is that uh, we need to stay focused. We need to understand that we're focused on reaching a goal Obtaining what it, it's the goal is compared in Philippians to a prize, the upward call of Christ Jesus, even in the midst of difficulty. So we understand that there will be difficulties. And so dodging difficulties is not how we take care of ourselves. We actually grow through difficulties. And that is taking care of ourselves because part of taking care of ourselves is, is, is also seeing our character develop, seeing our lives formed more in the image of Jesus, seeing us become perfected. So let's just read a little bit in Philippians, uh, some of those scriptures in Philippians 3. So in, in Philippians 3, it starts off with Paul's just warning them about some evil workers, evildoers who are um, trying to put confidence in the flesh. By that, they are, their confidence is in all their achievements. And so he said, well, if confidence is in our achievements, in our religious achievements, and I are far above everybody. And he states all the things he does. But then he goes on to say, however, these things that were gained to me that I thought mattered, I count as loss for the sake of Christ. And then he said, more than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ my Lord. And then he goes on to say that I may know him, the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death in order that I may attain the resurrection of the dead. And then the main scripture here is in verse 12 
that I, I want to share is he says, not that I've already obtained it or have already become perfect, and that means mature, but I press on so that I may lay hold of that for which I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. So he's moving forward. He's pressing on to grab hold. That's the purpose, the call of God on your life, on my life. Everybody, it's different. God has designed us, has saved us with a purpose, with a call. So he is He is pushing everything out of the way so that he can lay hold of what Christ laid hold of him for. So God saved us for a reason, but we have to grab hold of what he saved us for. God grabbed hold of us, but we have to grab hold of him for what he grabbed hold of us for. That's our onus. So he said, so then he says, and, and to do this, he said, one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind, reaching to what lies ahead. And we all have to do that because we all live in, we can live in regret, and that's the worst place to live in. And he said, I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call in Christ Jesus. And then he says, join in following my example and observe those who follow the same pattern in us. And then he counters it with saying, because many walk whose God is their appetite, who set their minds on earthly things. For, but our citizenship is in heaven for which we eagerly wait um, for Christ who will transform our body into a glorious one. So, so he's saying that there are those that live for just the, um, the physical, the earthly things. So self-care is not just an earthly thing. And self-care is not just for an earthly life that's going to end anyway. But self-care is for the purpose of finishing your assignment on earth and making it into the next place of glory, having done all that God called you to do, having done it well. And so in order for us to do it well, we need to be taking care of ourselves in many ways. So um, also 1 Corinthians 9.24 says, don't you know that in a race... All in the race, run, runners run, but only one receives the prize. So he says, run in a way that you want to take the prize. So he's saying, live your life as if you're in a race. And it's not a, a, it's not a what do you call the short race? It's not a sprint, but it's a long uh, marathon. So he said, live that you're going to run this race and actually win the prize. So not just be in a race, but have your eyes on the prize. Not just running along being in the marathon just for the sake of being in it, but wanting to be the first one at the finish line. That's how he wants us to live our lives, for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of Christ. So, of course, when you're running a marathon, you do things to take care of yourself. When you're running a marathon, you take your breaks, you take your water stops. You do everything you need to do. So it's not that you wear yourself out the first stretch, but you're looking at the prize and, and you're taking care of your life in a way as I want to be the first one at that finish line for the sake of Jesus. So point two is don't give up no matter what deterrence take place. God doesn't give up on us or remove his call from us, even in the midst of extreme challenges. So whether they're unforeseen delays or interferences from the outside that are out of our control or self-induced delays and personal distractions that we ought to blame for, either way, Romans 11.25 says the gifts and call of God are irrevocable. So he does not remove it. And, you know, I, I used to use Samson as my example, and, and, and then God really helped me out in this because that's an extreme example. I mean, Samson messed up, messed up, messed up, kept going off track, um, but 
in the long run, at the end, he delivered Israel. So he had his eyes gouged out, but he delivered Israel. He had lots of self-induced hardships, but he still carried out and fulfilled the plan of God in his life. Now, we don't have to be like Samson. And, and, and so, like, God help me to see as we've been studying through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, um, and these, these heroes and these patriarchs, that they actually got distracted lots of times. They, they, they got delayed lots of times. They made some foolish mistakes. They did things their own way sometimes. But yet the call of God was still there. And it still got carried out. And God didn't say, okay, you're out. Next one up for line. But he kept working with them. And that encourages me. And that should encourage you because many people give up because they think that God has given up on them. God does not give up on you and he does not take it away. So press on no matter what. If, if you've been delayed by others or if you've been delayed by yourself, just press on. God is bigger than all of that. So, um, but that takes me to point three is whenever possible, eliminate all obstacles within reason. So in other words, we don't want to say, okay, I could just, you know, I'll make this mistake and God will get me back on track. Don't, you know, just do whatever you can to eliminate things that stand in the way. Hebrews 12, one through two says, therefore, since we're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, and it's talking about all the heroes of faith in, in the previous chapter, says, let us throw off every encumbrance, every weight, and the sin that so easily entangles. So sin easily entangles. Us Christians, I'm not talking even about those that are already living in it and not realizing. I'm talking about us. And let us run with endurance. Here it is again. The race that is set out for us. Third time we're reading in scriptures this Christian walk compared to a race. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. So it's not even a, a, a self um, energized run. It's something that we cannot do without setting our eyes on Jesus. He's the one that perfects our faith. As we follow him, we cannot perfect our own faith. And that takes a big load off of our shoulders. And it says, for, who the joy, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. So again, if you want to go into the earthly, unbalanced form of self-care, Jesus would have not gone to the cross. Self-care to fulfill the purpose of God takes a different image than one that is solely self-fulfilling. One that is self-fulfilling is self-worship and can be dangerous. And we, we can't trust a life of self-fulfillment. We also do ourselves a great injustice as we don't know better and we can hurt ourselves even more. So, for example, sometimes we think we need to pull back because we feel overwhelmed when in fact God may be trying to increase our capacity or teach us something. It's like lifting weights. You know, I, I, um, I have all kinds of ways of making sure I do physical exercise. It's usually, it's been for many, a good amount of my years going to the gym with a buddy, Regina Stafford was my gym buddy. And if it wasn't for her knocking on my door twice a week, I probably would have never gone. So um, now it's, um, nowadays, I actually needed a more intense accountability um, because it's become harder. So I got myself a personal trainer. So I'm paying the personal trainer. So I am forced to go there because I'm not going to be throwing out my money. And I'm sure my husband is not going to be happy if I'm doing that either. So, um, but the thing is, it's also, um, I also needed this to, to um, at this stage of my life, know what exercise to do and how to do it right. So, 
my personal trainer pushes me hard. She's a, a weightlifter. She's a tiny bitty little thing. You'd never know it. Um, but it's, it's funny. It's like she'll be pushing me to lift heavier weights than I would have ever lifted. And, and if it's up to me, I'm like, I can't do this. And if I was there by myself, I would not do it. But she's like, you could do it. You could do it. And I'm like, no, I can't do it. This is too heavy. But, but before I know it, as she's pushing me, I'm able to lift heavier weights than I thought I could. And it makes me stronger. And I've been really excited about the fact that I have a stronger upper body strength than I ever have before. You know, I want to use that strength to take care of my grandkids. I want to use that strength to do the will of God. I want to use that strength to carry my life out. I want to use that strength to protect my bones. There's lots of reasons why I want to use that strength. I have a, 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 an elderly mom that I love, but, you know, it, it breaks my heart to see her sitting in a nursing home with her, with, with her muscles deteriorating because she refused to use them. Because she said, she used to always say to us, I'm going to be a lady of leisure from the age of 40. <laughs> and that being a lady of, and she couldn't because she actually had to take care of my dad. So thankfully she couldn't be a lady of leisure because my dad was sick and she was uh, his primary caretaker and did a wonderful job. You know, but then when she moved back with here um, into the city with us, it was just so hard to get her to even take a walk. And I knew where that would lead to. And I had to watch that lead there. And so, and I know how easy it is because I know how tired I get and I'm not even anywhere near her age and I know how I don't feel like doing things, but I push myself to do it because ultimately, like it may be a little pain and discomfort now, but the ultimate end result is good. So sometimes, you know, uh, we, we, whether it's physical, mental, emotional, whatever, we feel like, oh, this is too much or something God's putting in our hands and we feel overwhelmed, this is too much, this can't be God. Sometimes God is just stretching us to do what he sees we can do, to do a little more. And, and, and so we have to trust him in, in that way, but also balance it out with knowing how to take breaks, knowing how to, when we need to just get away. And, and, and like I said, it's not just the physical disciplines of rest, the spiritual disciplines of needing to get away and pray. I know when, I, when I'm, I have a busy season and then I know I need to just stop and one day, you know, I just take all my free time and I just get before God because I need to be refreshed in his presence before I could give out any more. So it's balancing all these things. Um, since... Um, Since I have to think about myself, this is some people's posture, I'm not, I'm, I need to protect myself from those who are not healthy for me. Now, I hear this a lot nowadays. Um, and, I'm, and I'm not advocating for being a doormat. And I'm not advocating for accepting abuse. But the definition of abuse has been stretched so far so that all of you can probably be considered abusers. I'm an abuser, you're an abuser. In fact, if we got rid of all abuses, the population would probably be wiped out. <laughs> it's the truth. It's not minimizing real abuse. It's not minimizing the need to deal with abuse. But it, it, we have to understand that if we stretch it too far to anything, that like, it's un oh, that's unhealthy for me. I have to cut out everybody in my life that's just unhealthy for me. That person's just a little too negative, so I have to cut them out of my life. And, and honestly, that shows the weakness in us. 
Because we need to be strong enough. The Bible says, don't be overcome by evil, but overcome good with evil. And there are times when we just need to be able to influence. Like, how strong an influence are you? Are, are you an influence? Are you influencer? Are you an influencer? We can influence other people. We can help be the change in other people's lives. So, so we need to balance, again, this all out. It's not our job, job to judge and condemn as much as it is to forgive and restore and to extend grace and mercy, and put ourselves in the hands and mercy of God who said, revenge is mine, I will repay. See, we are in fact told in Luke 6, and I would encourage you to read Corinthians 13 and Luke 6 every day, because <laughs> this will be uh, a mirror for us. So it says in Luke 6, to the one who strikes you, uh, first it says, um, we're told, bless those that curse us, do good to those that hate us. Jesus' words, not mine. Um, <laughs> We're told to pray for those who despitefully use us. Okay, I don't see this being shown on Facebook a lot. Um, Luke 6, 27 says, to one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. One who takes away your coat, do not withhold your jacket either. Give to everyone who begs from you, and for one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. And you will be sons of the Most High, for he is kind to the ungrateful and evil. Wow. These are God's words. Revenge, unforgiveness, closing and protecting our hearts can be dangerous. God is a God of hope. God is a God of reconciliation. We are incapable of rightfully protecting ourselves. So when we try to guard our hearts, often we're leaving out the good and the bad. We harden our hearts in self-protection. And we have to be careful. You know, every time I forgive, I know I'm leaving myself open for potential hurt again. And, and some people will remain in my lives. Some people, and again, I'm not talking about extreme abuse, but I'm talking about we hurt each other. In marriages and families, we hurt each other. And so we have to forgive knowing that we may get hurt again and forgive knowing that we may get hurt again and forgive knowing that we may get hurt again. And guess what? That's healthy. What's not healthy is hardening our heart and saying, I will never let anyone hurt me. Because we can't avoid that fully. Now we can take measures when it comes to um, abusiveness that is very harmful. And that's where you get advice and that's where you get help. So again, there's a balance. There's a balance. But I've seen so many marriages go down the tubes because it's just, you know, the person doesn't always act in a way that makes you feel so good about yourself. Well, I thank God that my husband's still with me because I'm telling you, I don't always make him feel really good about himself. And I thank God for his forgiveness, for his love, for him just moving on, for him actually forgetting about it pretty much every time I do it. And the God who works in my life is working in my life to change those things. But you know, it's, it's his grace and it's my husband's grace that continues to allow me to work through it. Because when we pound on judgment, it usually closes people off and locks them into their sin even worse. So I have to love myself. This is another posture. I have to love myself first based on the commandment of the two great commandments. And the greatest commandment, Jesus said, that fulfills all the commandments are two. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your mind and all your strength. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. 
So there is a mandate here from God to love him and to love others. So please know that it does not read like this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Love yourself and love others. He's not giving us three commands. He's giving us two commands. But some people interpret this scripture as if, and misread it, as if he's giving us three commands. Our problem is not that, our problem is that we live in a post-fallen world. So our love for ourselves, unlike Adam and Eve, is convoluted at its best. If we say we can't love others until we love ourselves, we're essentially saying Jesus gave us a third commandment. In fact, without realizing it, we're suggesting that to love yourself is the second of the great three commandments. Because we're saying it comes before the commandment to love each other. And I've heard many people say this. I have to love myself first. Well, that's not what Jesus is saying. He's not saying love me, then love yourself, then love others. And so if he wanted to say that, he would. Jesus is very good at articulating what he wanted to say. We are very good at changing it around to what we would like it to say. So we are saying that loving ourselves then is a precondition to loving other people. And, and so Jesus, Jesus was not stating three commandments. And so um, the scripture is saying to love and treat others as you would want to be loved and treated. So it's giving a barometer of what that looks like. In other words, love God and love others as you love, would love you, as you love yourself. So in other words, the way, and Jesus said it in other ways. He, it was said through scripture in other places. He says, do unto others as you want them to do unto you. It's a barometer. All right, how do I treat people? Well, think about how you would like to be treated. There it goes. And that's simply what it means. So we are to love God and love others. It's not, it's not a bad thing to want to be treated well. It's actually a good thing. But it's not a good thing if we don't keep this in the perspective of God's word. So some people totally skip the love God part. You know, it all becomes about, uh, the, 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 it even gets even more convoluted and it's love me. Love others, maybe somewhere down there, love God. So when it's all in the right order, love God, love others. I love it. This is the, the tagline of our youth, and it's really nice, and it's been on their T-shirts. Love God, love others. Some people skip the love God. Um, when you love God, you become a recipient of his love, and when, when you understand his love, his love is bigger than you. His love is for you and for others. So when, when you understand the love of God, it becomes way bigger than you. And to do this best, you need to experience God's love and how he treated you, not as your sins deserved. And when you know the love of God for yourself, you can love others as you are loved by God. And it also helps when you have barometers of how people that can love you. And it's good to have people in your life that love you, that treat you well. So I'm not saying intentionally live with people that don't treat you well. No, we need to have people around us that treat us well. It's a barometer. And, and, and if we grow up in a place where that didn't happen, then we find people and we find ways because we need to learn that. But we learn it first from how God treats us. We can learn it from how others treat us that treat us well. But that doesn't mean we put ourselves in a little bubble where life is all just happy and we're only with the people that treat us well and we reject the rest of the world. We're in the world as lights. We're in the world to be conduits of God's love. And God loved people when they were not treating him well. 
And we can do that in him. We can't do that in our own strength. But when we are filled with the love of God, we can certainly do that. So from my perspective in so many social media reads, reads it seems that many people are interpreting this incorrectly. And, and we will never do well just loving God and loving, and loving me. In fact, you really can't love God if you don't love others. In fact, Romans 12 says, as I said, don't be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And the, what precipitates that is Romans 12, 19 through 21. It says, do not avenge yourselves. Beloved, leave room for God's wrath. That's, that's on him. For it's written, vengeance is mine. I will repay for, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. I don't see that on Facebook. If he is thirsty, give him a drink. I don't see that on social media. And then it says you'll be heaping burning coals on his head. It doesn't mean, okay, this is my way of revenge, you know. It means that God is allowing time for people to repent. See, if we understand this, 1 Peter 3, 9 says, the Lord is not slow about his promise. And it's not that he doesn't care about uh, retributing you, but he cares about all people. So it says he's not slow about his promises, some count slowness, but is patient towards you and towards others, not wishing anyone to perish, but all to come to repentance. This is the love we need to have for people. So yes, um, there is a right place for self-care, and it's so we can carry out and complete our mission. But our mission is about people, so we need to be attentive to our health, physically, emotionally, mentally, and spiritually, and take measures to take care of ourselves in those ways. Some people wear themselves out, but there are times that we may be stretched in these areas, and we have to weigh out situations and circumstances under the auspices of God, of his kingdom, his call, and the value of lives as he sees them. How do we rectify what seems at times to be contradictory? So see, in, in Philippians 2.3, Paul says, Make my joy complete. Be like-minded. Have the same love. Be united in spirit and purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or empty pride. And let me stop there. We have to understand that if self-care is appropriated correctly, it is not self-ambition. That's what I was saying from the beginning. Self-care is so that we can carry out or a purpose. Self-care is not just self-serving. It's God-serving. So he's saying, do nothing out of selfish ambition, but in humility, consider others more important than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also the interests of others. So he's not saying, don't look to your interests at all. Don't, don't care about your own interests. No, we have to look to our own interests. But he's saying, don't only look to your own interests. And most of the world lives their life looking only to their own interests, or at least 95%. And there's so much... A horrible corruption and greed. I mean, look, people are doing things to make money that are hurting other people. All the time. And that's because of sin in the world and selfishness and greed. And that's why we're told, look, not only to your own interests. So every decision you make, even for yourself, should include the interests of others. It's all inclusive. Look to your interests and to the interests of others. How 
How do we rectify this contradictory, what seems to be contradictory at times, by living our lives for the purpose God called us to? For instance, you know, like when you're traveling on an airplane, you're traveling with a child or someone challenged, and it always says, you know, I love this, if the, you know, if the oxygen is lost, the MS drop. And a lot of people out of incorrect wanting to take care of someone else will immediately put the air mask on to the other person because they're saying, I got to make sure this person survives. My child is more important. Let me get the air mask on him. But they say, if you're traveling with a child, put your own air mask on first because how the heck are you going to help that child if you're dead? So this is why self-care is so important while we're caring for others. We have to take care of ourselves or we're no good to anybody. We have to put on our MS first before we can help anyone. We have to have those physical things in our lives. We have to have the rest we need. I, you know, I take vacations and I make no bones about it. I don't take vacations to just go out and have a good time. I don't like posting them on, on, on any kind of social media because I, you know, when I'm on vacation, it's very private, but I'm usually there to rest to refresh, before they had, um, before they used to uh, not charge for luggage, we usually had to have a whole luggage of books, me and my husband. Now, you know, we have books on, on Kindle and all kinds of ways. I still like real books, I just have to minimize them. We used to go away with a suitcase of books because that's how I got to refresh, to sit, to relax, to unplug, and I needed that to get back and do what I needed to do. That's what vacation is for. It's not to wear yourself out 24-7 in Disney World. <laughs> and I've done that too. And, but I've done that one time I did that and actually it was a good thing for me because I was so busy I could not take any calls from the office and I actually needed to totally disconnect. So it was actually a good thing, and God arranged it, because I was, I was not in full control. I was with my brothers and sisters and their kids, and so I had to be on this uh, Disney marathon. <laughs> it was up to me, seven days in Orlando, one day in Disney would have been it. They have seven days in, in Orlando and six days in Disney. I'm like, whoa, you know. <laughs> But there's a place for everything. And there was actually a place, a good thing for that in my life at that time, you know, um, bonding me with my family that I don't get to see because of my work, um, giving me a time to just do something different, you know. Um, so it's not bad to, to have fun. But if you need a restful vacation, take a restful vacation. So that's self-care. So we learn to take care of ourselves so that we can care for others. So it's self-care for the sake of others. We are called to take care of others. We have to take care of ourselves first. So we make this a part of how we live our lives. Our children watch us and learn how to do this. They learn how to not live. My kids have learned how not to be self-centered in their lives by just being brought up in it. I mean, it's just been amazing. Things become automatic to your family when they see it. The purposes of God in our life, embraces all aspects and seasons of our lives. So, and it all evolves around the Lord. So we need self-care to fulfill the purpose of God on this earth. That includes nurturing our marriages, raising our children, taking care of business, helping our neighbors. And who is our neighbor? We're not going to go into that, but you all know the parable. Um, 
Self-care encompasses living the life we claim as Christians by being a light and a witness to the gospel and at the same time demonstrating character, honesty, sincerity, courage, faith. We're reaching out for perfection, which means maturity, not being perfect. True character is not putting on a facade of perfection. That's hypocrisy. True character is striving for the life of Christ to be formed in us as we deal with our humanity, as we deal with our frailty, as we deal with our failures and mistakes. That is the hope of Christ in us. If we were perfect already, there'd be nothing left to strive or hope for. And our striving is through Christ and not in our own strength. He that began a good work in you will complete it. So in your self-care for your spiritual journey and fulfilling God's purpose, we have to understand there's times and seasons. We have to take serious attention to the seasons we're in and how we spend them. Our time is very precious. We can't count on others to raise and train our children, to disciple our children. That's our job. Sometimes parents think that it's just going to automatically happen. Newsflash, it doesn't automatically happen. If you're not cultivating it in the house, it will not become a part of their life. And, and life is in stages and seasons, and the older you get, the more you get this. You know, one thing I've learned, it's really interesting, and I encourage people, is when you want to do something, if you think something is good, something is good for you, you have a desire to do something, sometimes you say, at a later time, at a later time, at a later time. I found that some of the things I pushed off to a later time, I no longer want to do. <laughs> I no longer have the energy to do. And so, you know what? Sometimes we need to do things when we can if we can, and not just live like I'm going to just put that off for another time. And so we have to weigh out everything. If it's something good, it's okay. Do it because seasons change. Our life changes. Things change. When you're in your 20s, you think that when you're in your, thir when you're in your 60s that you're going to have the same energy. You don't get it. How many that are it, it past their 50s and 60s, do you understand what I'm saying? But when you're in your 20s and 30s, you don't understand. You just picture, because I did. I pictured myself the same way, just with a six in front of the zero instead of a three. But I pictured myself the same. And like, wow, when I got to it, I'm like, oh, this is really different. So, so remember that every decade will be different. And so that's why it even says when you're young, like Ecclesiastes 12.1 says, remember your creator in the days of your youth, before the days of trouble come and the years approach when you'll say, I find no pleasure in them. You know, when, you're, when your eyes grow dim, all kinds of things, when we all need to put on our glasses. There, there's just all kinds of practical things. And so what I encourage young people is just seek God, serve God with your strength, do what you can do. In that age you're in, and do it well, and put God first. You know, everything, when God tells you to do something, one thing, Lord, don't wait, just do it. Just do it. Because seasons come and go, opportunities come and go, windows open and close. You need to catch it when he's giving it to you. When you get older, there's less energy, less strength, less motivation. You have to fight cynicism, but thank God the best way to fight cynicism is by loving people. So, you know, if you've already got that right, you're doing good. Um, 
we raise families, we're in all different places. Embrace the season you're in and live in that. Um, I thank God that I did most of my intense studying of the Bible when I was in my 20s. In fact, I, I actually left my job for a year and studied the Bible and wrote my own commentary. You know what, if I tried to do that now, my memory is just not, when you're young, your memory is strong. And you will remember everything. I remember everything I studied then. But ask me what I studied yesterday, and I may have a hard time. <laughs> Use the season you're in. Capitalize on it for the, for the purposes of God so that you can live out your life and, 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 and really be such a, a vessel. Paul said, I'm, I'm poured out like a drink offering. That's, that's not just a bad thing. You know, let me, I'm going to end with this. I never saw anyone at a funeral say, this person was so good at taking care of themselves and making sure that they just did everything they needed for themselves. Do you ever see that at a funeral? Said no. You never see, they were so attentive to their own emotional and physical needs. Never seen that at a funeral. You know what I see at a funeral? This person gave themselves for others. What do you see on the news? You see the stories that grab your heart of people that put themselves in harm's place for others, that take risks for others, that run into burning buildings, not thinking of their own life to save another life. This is what is remembered. This is what is honored. This is what Jesus did. Think about what you once said at your funeral and live your life that way. We trust that you were blessed. For more information regarding our church, please go to our website at www.resurrectionchurchofny.com or call 718-416-0242, extension 0.